Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's a Monday morning. It's corner three. This is going to be a fiery episode of corner three, I think. <laughs> Based on the conversation that Scott and I just had off the air. Uh, as always, presented by our friends at Mechdyne. If you are looking for a new job or anything like that, check out their hiring opportunities right now at mechdyne.com. We've got a, qu- a question from... Chris Clover from Mechdyne that we're going to tackle a little bit later on in the podcast. Wanted to get Scott's uh, opinion on this because it's something that will be obviously very near to him. Uh, and we'll talk about that later, more later on, man. Uh, where to start? That was the first thing I said to you when we logged on, what are we going to talk about? There's plenty to talk about. Uh, I don't know how much of it we really want to dive deep into the beginning of it is that Iowa state lost again on Saturday uh, fourth loss in a row, this one to, uh, Kansas state had a 15 point lead in the second half of the game. And, uh, all of it wasted away in uh, blur, a, a flurry of really stupid turnovers, uh, inexcusable. I mean, an inexcusable way of getting away from your game plan that had worked for the majority of the game. And, uh, just, uh, a lot of really dumb stuff. A lot of dumb stuff, Scott. I don't know. That's the. I think that was the crux of what mostly went on to to prevent Iowa State from being able to close that game out. Yeah, I think what makes this team so frustrating is that we saw for tw- like they let the cat out of the bag that they're capable. Right. You know, for twelve games to start the season, we saw this team and what it could do when it was. I look at it as more of a mental thing than a physical thing. But when your mental, when the mental part of your game goes, the physical part will follow, but we, we saw it right. And, and we saw it on Saturday. We saw for 20 minutes, this team handled Kansas state was up 15 in great shape. They were doing all of the things that you and I had, I think had been talking about. We wanted to see out of this team leading up to this game that we had seen earlier this season. And then as quick as they did it, the, the light switch went out on it and it all came unraveled in a, you know, heartbreaking, potentially NCAA tournament resume shattering fashion. And you left your, you left the game frustrated, angry, gut wrenched the whole nine yards. And, um, I, I, that's that was a microcosm of the season um it was uh it was a collapse and if you want to go play in march you just can't do that there's no there's no way to sugarcoat that yeah it's like the thing that is so frustrating about it is that this team i don't even know how much of it has to do with what other teams do they kneecap themselves like they they their mistakes are so backbreaking, you know, and it, and one mistake turns into five for some reason. And, and that's where making, they keep making the same mistakes over and over again. That's the part that I think, at least for me personally, that is something that I am frustrated with. Yeah. This team is making the same mistakes over and over and over again. If it was, you know, we're, we're doing all the right things in our process and we just can't make shots or their Kansas state has a guy just goes nuts for 25, makes a bunch of tough threes and we lose. Nobody likes losing, but okay. That's, that's part of playing in a league like the big 12, but I just, I mean, gosh, there's a, 
four or five games in this in league play here where I've watched this team demonstrate that it, it, it understands what it takes to be successful. And then in the middle of the game, just completely lose itself with the, you know, the careless turnovers, sloppy cutting, thinking all of a sudden we're going to bail ourselves out with early threes, those sorts of things. And every time the same thing happens, it's just a collapse in the middle Mm -hmm. of the game. So it's just, it's hard as a fan, I think to sit here and say like, why do we keep doing that? And we can talk about those things. I mean, I, I think I can, I've played on teams like that. I think I can probably share a little bit of insight of maybe what happens, but um, as a fan, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. And it's like, man, you know, it's like in a movie, dude. And like, you got two guys that are, are fighting, you know, one guy's got a weapon and there's a guy that's clearly beaten the, he's beaten the shit out of the other one. And then in, in the middle of the fight, he's about to land the kill shot. And instead of hitting the other guy with his lead pipe, he hits himself with his lead pipe and (laughs) takes out one of his legs. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you've got to fight with one bad leg and you're like, okay, well, why, like, why'd you just do that? And then you hit the other one and you're like, okay, well, this doesn't make any sense, you know? And then all of a sudden the other guy's back up and you had this chance to be able to, to knock him out and take, take the game. And they just, you don't take advantage of those scenarios. You don't land that knockout punch. And then all of a sudden it's a tie game. You've given up multiple and ones on live ball turnovers. You know, you've given up all these kinds of things. You And, and it's just, man, there's so much of it, dude, that, is really frustrating because it feels like they play not to lose sometimes more than they play to win, you know, that's what is that's, I'm not saying that this team is soft or anything like that. Like they're not because they're tough guys. Clearly they're tough guys. Like they all care a lot and like they play really hard and they're, they're all willing to get out there and like get down on the floor and be tough, do the things that it takes to be tough. But man, when they get a lead or they get into a situation where things start to get a little bit adverse, things stop going their way. They start playing scared. They start playing scared to lose. And when you start playing scared to lose, that's when you start to see some of the mistakes that they make with really bad passes. And I'm not saying bad passes of where they're throwing them. I'm saying like physically bad passes. How long have people in basketball been standing on each end of the, each side of the free throw line, throwing chest passes back and forth to each other? Like TJ doesn't need, shouldn't have to need to do that in practice, but man, sometimes it's like, do these guys like know how to throw passes to each other? Every team in the league knows what Iowa state's going to do on offense. Just like Iowa state knows what every team in the league is going to do on the other end. All 10 teams in this league know what the other nine teams are going to do on any given night. So when you know that the other team knows what you're going to do, you're not going to throw anything at them. That's going to shock them that they've never seen before most likely, unless you're like going to really dig deep into what you've got in the, in the playbook. So what do you have to do when the other guy knows what you're going to do? You got to do it better. You have to do it right. You have to be tough. When you're throwing the entry pass into the high post, that guy that's in the high post has to get his, has to get his base wide. He's got to get his hands up and he's got to wall up, get the ball, go get the ball. You got to throw a pass to him. That's not a little lolly lollygag pass like you're throwing it to a fifth grader. Pass right. the ball, you know? And that's what pisses me off is it's the other team knows what you're going to do. Why would you make it any, any easier for them to defend 
when they know what you want to do. Just like on the other end, if a team throws that pass against you guys and it's not going the other way, everybody's going to be kicking themselves because they're like, damn, we should have gotten that one. And Iowa State makes a lot of plays for the other team to say, oh, we got them now, you know? And that that really pisses – like, that's what I sit there and, like, that pisses me off because that's, like – that's where you sit there and it's like, man, come on. Like, want to go win the game, want to compete, want to seal this deal, have that killer mentality to go and win the freaking game. Well, and it's it's the old Bill Belichick adage, do your job. Yeah. Every play, do your job. And be and I said this, I did a little Twitter summary of the game yesterday, and I, I'm with you. I don't I do not think this team is not physically tough. I think they're physically a very tough group of guys. I think this team has some very admirable qualities. But when it comes down to being mentally tough enough in ad- in adverse moments in the second half, you're a little tired, et cetera, et cetera, being tough enough mentally to do your job every play. If that means cut to get open, don't make a banana cut, make a sharp cut, 90 degrees, get your body into your guy, your guy and create some space. I mean, if you're through a guy entering the offense and a guy's not open, I'm not throwing the ball. I, I'm keeping my dribble alive. If they're going to go out and deny our wings 25 feet from the basket, guess what? There must be an opportunity to go make a playoff the dribble. If that's a, you know, a big guy, it's your job to, you know, put a, I, I think one of the things that this team struggles with in the second half, they don't rebound as physically. They, they're not as good rebounding in the second half. They always start off strong. And then coming out in the second half, Texas tech was a great example. We get a little bit beat up on the boards because we we stop keeping our focus on what's my job every possession and just go out and be tough enough to out execute your job and win your one-on-one matchup each and every play and that's why they don't that's why they've struggled in the second half to sustain some of the things we've seen early in games and i i just i think it's much more of a mental thing than it is a physical thing i really do and I think that some of the mental piece of it is even – I think they get mentally – it's like they get mentally tired Yes. as yep. the game goes along. Or uh, when they start to get physically tired, then their mental stuff starts to really slip. They and, get emotional – I think they get a little emotionally worn out. You know, they yeah. come out early and there's their, they put a bunch – like Saturday was a great example. They were into it. Early on, they were into it. And then all of a sudden, we go to halftime and, you know, you, you have 15 minutes where you're just kind of sitting still – they didn't come out in the second half with the same emotional, you know, we've got to have this one. This is a must win game. It was almost like they kind of took that step back and were like, all right, like we've kind of got this one and we can just coast here. And you can't, you can't do that in the big 12. Right. And it's at the end of the day, man, like there are just, there are things physically that, I just feel like hold them back. Like when it comes time in some of these games to win, man, you got to have the physical and mental fortitude to say, I'm not going to move off of my spot. Right. You are not going to move me, you know, like you're just not going to. And man, I think Tyrese is a good example. And I'm not trying to attack Tyrese. Cause again, Tyrese is 18 years old playing big point guard for 35 minutes a night in the big 12. Like I can't, it's hard to throw Tyrese under the bus at this point. But Tyrese is not strong enough to be the primary ball handler for a team for 35 minutes in the Big 12, 
right now today. Other point guards are stronger than him. They move him off his spot. They move him away from where he wants to be. When he starts getting loose with his handle, it's because he's uncomfortable. Other people are making him uncomfortable. He's got to get stronger, like physically stronger. And then you, you know, you take the mental side of along with it. Like, I don't think Tyrese is a mentally weak player, but he's got to get physically stronger to match that, you know, to be able to do that stuff on the physical end as well. Your big men got to be stronger. You have to be tougher, want it more than the other team, you know? And I, it seemed in the second half, Kansas state wanted that game a lot more than Iowa state did. They played like a team that knew that their backs were against the wall. You know, they played like a team expecting to win that, find a way to win that game. And we played like a team that was hoping to find a way not to lose it. And I think like with Tyrese, in the off season, he certainly needs to clean up his ball handling. He's a, you know, for a high school player, good ball handler, obviously with his speed and quickness, everybody's on their heels with him. Um, but for him to take that next step and be, you know, a first team all league player, his, his ball handling needs to get significantly better. But when, when I, I look at him and okay, well, that's probably not going to fully get to where we want it to be between now and tomorrow night or now mm-hmm. in the end of the season, it's a mentality thing, you know, and I, I think there are moments where I see Tyrese and he is a young player, but I, I just have a suspicion that Tyrese doesn't want to be coached like a freshman. He wants to be coached like a guy who expects to be an all big 12 guard someday. So we'll analyze him as such, right? There are moments where Tyrese is like, F this. I'm putting my head down. I'm faster than you. And I'm getting to the hole. And like in that second half, when we were struggling to enter the ball, guys weren't doing him any favors by making crisp, tough cuts. I can tell you that that's not on him, but after the first turnover, you recognize that you got two options. Either you go and you get in someone's ass and tell them if they're going to cut to make a big league cut or they're going to deny you guys. All right. I'm getting by my guy and I'm going to go make a play. Cause I've seen him do it. I've seen him flip the switch like West Virginia. There was a couple of drives. I think there was even a couple of drives on Saturday. And that's just as he gets more and more comfortable being, you know, one of the alpha dogs on the team, I think you'll see him that happen for him more and more. But if we want to win four or five of the last six games, like we probably need to, that switch needs to come on for him now. That's just the truth of the matter. Might be unfair standard to hold him to as a freshman, right. but as a guy that wants to lead a team to the NCAA tournament, that's the reality of the situation. Man, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago that this team needed a week off where they would practice really hard because mm-hmm. it it seems like they need like this team like needs to get in a fight with each other. Like in ha- like not actually fight with each other, but you get what I'm saying, like where you have a day in practice where it's like, we are just going to beat the crap out of each other and get some of this stuff out in the air. And like, you just have those guys that are going to say enough is enough, you know? Like, I think you, you know, this better than anybody like Melvin Edgem was not a guy who was going to let anybody get away with stuff. You know, you weren't just going to be able to do whatever you wanted to. Cause like, that's the kind of guy who's going to tell you you're doing something wrong, you know? And we've heard the stories and like, even as a freshman, Melvin was that way, like almost to, you know, maybe a fault at times, maybe there were some times where he would cross the line, but that was what I loved about Melvin. It's why he was, you know, I probably, probably my favorite teammate. There's a few other guys I'd throw in there that I had at Iowa state, but it was like, I love guys like that. I love Mm -hmm. guys that are like, all right, let's fight. 
let's do this. You know what I mean? They just have that. They like, I'm not going to back down. They've got that edge to them. That makes them, uh, it makes them, they could be the nicest guy in the world, but when you get between those lines, they've got that edge to them that it's like, even if you're on their team, you know, you don't want to mess with that guy. You know, and those are the guys that you want to go out there and be on the court with. I mean, I I love playing with Melvin and Melvin was a great guy off the court. I, we played video games a million times. He killed me in call of duty, every one of them. But what I loved about him is it was like, man, it might be the, an open gym and he's ready to do that over it. And I'm like, that's the kind of guy that I want to ride with. And Mm -hmm. it's that mentality that this team lacks. You know what I mean? Like they're almost too, they're all too nice of guys. Almost a little bit. Yeah. A little little too nice. So they're, they're afraid to cross the line. They're afraid to, right. and, And I'm not talking about going out and being a punk and like, talking to the other team i'm talking or doing, about or doing what the kid from clemson somebody. did yeah i'm talking about cracking somebody yeah. on a board i'm talking about guys gonna get to a get, get gets by a guy and he's gonna get a layup like i'm not saying bill lambeer style but like no there will be no easy layups here today yeah that yeah. type of stuff they don't have yeah it's like you need that guy that the other team thinks is just a he's a little bit crazy and they know it you know and it's like, he's just a little bit of a wild card where it's like, we really don't want to make that guy mad. You know, last night in the Super Bowl, perfect example. Play over on the sideline where Aaron Donald shoves Joe, Joe Burr out of bounds. And, you know, did he hit t- push him a little bit late? Yeah, probably. Whole Bengals offensive line comes running over, chesting up with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, best, maybe the best football player on the planet. You know, what's Aaron Donald do? comes right back, gets a sack, gets a sack to end the game. Because you know what? That's a guy right there, man. I know he just shoved my quarterback a little bit late. I don't know if we want to piss Aaron Donald off. You know, I don't know if that's the guy that we want to push the buttons with on this Iowa state team. Is there anybody that you sit there and it's like, man, I don't know if that you want to push that guy's buttons because you know, when you push his button, he doesn't sink. He floats, he floats. That's when he elevates his game. He that's when when you start pushing Michael, Michael Jordan's buttons, man, Michael Jordan says, Oh, okay. Okay. Now you're going to find out what happens, you know? And when these games, you know, you, we heard it from these guys after the game, how Kansas state was came out, was more physical than them did things to get under their skin, man. That's, that's whack, bro. Like that's whack. (laughs) I, I don't know. I don't know, dude. Yeah. Like, obviously that's what they're going to do. They know they have to do that. If they want to win the game, they're down by 15 points. They got to do something that's going to knock you off of your game. So you're well, going to allow that when you know, it's coming, you're going to allow that to get into your skin. Like you just, that's, it, that's just unacceptable to me. I, I want to try to, you know, bring the, bring this full picture here. So I think in my personal opinion, what happened to this team is I think the the beginning of the Big 12 season, they had a gauntlet of games. I think it broke down their confidence in themselves. And I think it's because of that lack of confidence, you see that. When I was in New York doing the radio for the games, Memphis was trying to punk Iowa State. And there were a couple of times in that game where Isaiah had this look in his eye like, I am going to go punch one on somebody and I'm going to let them know about it. And so I know it's in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like these guys are just like, they're tough dudes. 
I think they've lost belief in themselves a little bit. I think they lost belief in their, their themselves in the sense of ball pressure, defensive rebounding, creating turnovers, and executing our job on offense is enough. We, I, I think in their mind, they, they panic in these moments. And instead of like, no, we need to do these four things just a little bit harder, just a little bit better. All of a sudden it's like, well, that's not enough. We got to, I got to take, I got to get a three. I got to, I got to, I got to hit a 15 point shot here. I got to, I got to make a Superman play. And that is not how this team is built to play. Most teams aren't built to play this way, but for this team in particular, it will come apart for them really quick when that happens. It has every time this year. So I think it's in there. I think they, I think they started to lose confidence in themselves with the way league play began. And that to me, you want to talk about the next six games, how that's going to go. Can they recapture that belief in themselves and that commitment to 40 minutes of what has made them successful before? Or are we going to continue to see 20 or 30 minute stretches where it goes well, then we get hit in the mouth and all of a sudden we're a little shell shocked and we revert to some bad habits. That's to try to paint the whole picture. That's what I see. Mm-hmm. Man, and kind of to shift gears here, I just, I'm trying to think of the best way to ask, to frame this. How much of this falls on TJ's shoulders, do you think? This is, now I'll preface this conversation with this. This is something that everybody on our staff has taken criticism for this week, weekend, last couple days, in this one thread on our forums specifically Chris was the big one but obviously there's a lot of dynamics at play in that scenario yep. not giving any opinion either way like it it is like it I think Chris has done an admirable admirable job in this situation that is obviously a tough one for him personally man I don't think that we've like let TJ off easy you know like we sit here and we come on every time what have we hidden from what we haven't hidden from anything you know, look, I, I did the, the TV for eight games at Hilton Coliseum. And I'm telling you, when I showed up, I hadn't been to a game in Hilton in a long time. Every fan I talked to was just hoping to not be embarrassed this year. So right. the fact that we're even here and, you know, feel like we have a, you know, a reason to be disappointed. If TJ doesn't come in and have a great start to the season, we're, we're sitting here like, yeah, this, this season has gone exactly how we, we thought, you know, we're three and nine in the league. Like, man, I'm, if I would have told the people, some of the people I talked to that we were going to win three of our first 12 games in league play, I think they would have looked at me like, are you sure about that, man? We won two games last year. Okay. So let's preface it with that. That is a fact. I never talked to one person and I talked to a lot of fans. I never talked to one person that thought this team was going to go into Baylor, the number eight ranked team in the country. Yeah. All right. Now, if you want to say, look, we started off great. The last 12 games in league play have been really frustrating. And some of that lies on TJ. Of course it does. He's the head coach of the team. Guess what? Every team in this country that plays how they play falls on them. And you want to know something? You think anyone takes this more personally than TJ and you're kidding yourself. You don't think TJ's sitting at home 
what do I got to do? What, what buttons do I got to press? What do I got to do to get us back on track? Absolutely. But to just sit here and well, it hasn't gone the way we wanted. And Saturday was a meltdown. And I mean, I don't even read the fo- that forum thread, so I don't know what's all said, but like, if you're at a spot where it's like, well, he needs to be fired. We need to do something to set, like, come on now, be, be reasonable, mm-hmm. right? Like I get it. We're fresh. We're not even one full season into the TJ Otzelberger era. Some of it's gone well, some of it hasn't gone as well as we had hoped. But if that's really where you're at or like, well, we need some reporters to get on here and send a message. Guys, TJ isn't listening to, to Jared Stansbury and Scott Christofferson when he's thinking about how to get ready for TCU. And so if he like, is, if he is, that's a problem. Right, exactly. Like, and, trust me, he's got some very well-paid people that do this for a living that dissect film and are with these kids every day. Like, like he's not looking at me to call him out in the media and tell him what he need. Like I would look like a fool to do that. Man, and here, here, I'll <laughs> tell you, I'll tell you a story that's perfect for this scenario. Man, it was last year. I don't remember when exactly it was last year towards the probably midpoint of conference play, maybe a couple weeks, like before we'd be right now. Man, we log on to do a Zoom press conference with Steve Prom. And when he logs on, his microphone is unmuted, and he's sitting in the basketball offices listening to the Williams and Bloom podcast. And all the reporters can hear it on the Zoom. He's sitting there listening to Chris and Brent analyze his team. Listening to Chris and Brent, like, and listening to the Cyclone Fanatic podcast. Man, immediately, the alarm bells go off in my mind. Wow, okay, this guy is way outside of it. You Must know. not trust your assistants. <laughs> that was the point, man. That was the point, man, when I was like, I, I don't know how you turn back from this. Yeah. If, you're, if the head coach is sitting in his office listening to the podcast, like, that's a problem. Yeah. That's a concern, you know, because clearly that person is not prepared to take the criticism that it takes to and then be able to turn around and say, okay, what do we need to do to fix it? You know, here's the thing, like for me, man, when things are going poorly, I don't have a mentality of who can I blame now? Who can I blame? And then I'm going to blame TJ. I'm going to blame the players. I'm going to blame the media members who don't hold TJ accountable and ask him harder questions. I'm going to hold the media member who's TJ's friend accountable because he didn't, he doesn't send TJ texts and tell him that he needs to change things like that's stupid, dude. Like what, right. that doesn't make any sense. What, what is productive about that? You and I having these conversations, I don't know how productive it is. Probably not at all. You know, like in the grand scheme of things from as far as the team, you know, like they're not well, taking what we say and going and reading it off to these guys and saying, Hey man, this is what these guys think, you know, you keep everything to everybody. And look, if your flavor of analyst is somebody that is going to get on and, you know, go on tirades about individual players or, you know, F bomb the coach or whatever, like that's fine. There, there are a lot of people I'm sure that cover Iowa state and those sorts of things. And like, you can find your flavor of analysts. Like I've, I don't talk about the Packers that way. I don't talk about, 
there's nothing in my life that I get on and I'm just like, man, F this guy, fire him. Do that's just not part of who I am. Did I play for TJ? Do I have a ton of respect for him? Do I hope it goes really well for him at Iowa state? Absolutely. But even if I covered somebody else that was coaching the team, I'm not coming on a podcast mm-hmm. and publicly just going after them. Right. Like this is to me, to your point about what purpose does that serve? Yeah. I don't, I don't have a purpose that I, to me that that's not what makes covering and doing this enjoyable and fun. And it's just not part of how I choose to conduct myself in any area of my life, man. And it's just really funny how everybody thinks that they're Woodward and Bernstein when they don't have to sit in that room and be face to face with the head coach, of the basketball team. Like everybody yeah. thinks that they're the greatest journalist to ever live, you know? And man, I, w- I would get to the bottom of these scenarios. What do you, th- <laughs> if I went in there and I asked TJ Otzelberger, I don't know. Like, I, I don't even know. I try and ask questions about these things, but I'm not going to be a dick about it because what's that going to be pr- like, what productive is, is what's going to come out of that. That's productive. Nothing, nothing. You know, I asked him the other day, what does it take to cut down on the live ball turnovers in these clutch scenario, in these situations when they clearly are becoming so backbreaking, this has become a common three, a common theme. And he gave a good quote about needing to want to win and wanting to have that urgency and all those kinds of things. Like what I asked the question about a thing that is a significant issue for his team. And what does it take to fix it? I'm not going to say, are you an idiot? Because your team gets having these live ball turnovers. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like what? That's not journalism. And like, I, I don't know. Let's take TJ out of it for a minute. Like I played for Greg McDermott and I played for Fred Hoiberg. When I would, when I played for Greg, we were soft. We were, we were a soft team physically. We were a soft team mentally. Greg McDermott is a really good basketball coach. He wasn't, we weren't in practice and he wasn't encouraging us to go out there and play soft or to go out there and, you know, not carry out our assignments. He was a good coach. He was doing the best that he could. And at the end of the day, we were not getting the message and we were not executing what he asked. And at some point in time, when that happens enough, you know, it didn't for Greg because he ended up going on to Creighton before the time came where he would have been let go. If things would have continued to go the way that they were, he would eventually have been let go. But he also then went to Creighton and had a ton of success. So what is my point? He was the same coach at Iowa State that he was at Creighton. I'm sure he's learned and progressed along the way. But you can be a really good coach and your team sometime play really well and your team sometime really struggle. Look at Fred Hoiberg. Comes and resurrects Iowa State basketball and makes it relevant again. Moves on to Chicago, really struggles, moves on to Nebraska. You know, that he's on the hot seat down there. Fred Hoiberg didn't forget how to coach. He didn't forget how to, you know, he didn't forget what made him good at Iowa State. It's just like, that's coaching. It's not just as simple as like, oh, I'm going to go in the locker room and I'm just going to rip the players a new one and swear at them a bunch and tell them they stink. And then we're going to go out and it's all going to come together. That's like, it sounds good when you're drinking a beer on your couch, watching the game, but you don't ever have to pay the price for being wrong with your assertion that you're making, right? Like, like when do you ever have to measure what you're suggesting and then have to pay the piper for being right or wrong? 
never. Guess what? TJ's got millions of dollars on the line here. So like, does he share some of the blame and how this has gone in conference play? Yes. I guarantee you TJ would never try to say, no, this is just the players. This isn't me. That's not who he is. He takes as much ownership of this thing as anybody, but to just say, well, you know, I've just got all these answers on this bar napkin in my house. I mean, this is pretty simple. And if we just, you know, kind of shake TJ up a little bit and just give him the bar napkin, like, dude, we're going to the tournament five seat all the way. Like, yeah, that's not exactly how it works. Right. And man, there's never been a hall of fame coach ever who walks into his hall to do his hall of fame speech. And the first thing he says is, well, I got a lot of people to thank. First of all, me, I need to thank myself (laughs) for being a basketball genius and being the smartest basketball mind to ever live. Second, I need to thank myself again for recruiting the best players that I possibly could recruit who then took my basketball plan. That is genius again and execute it to perfection. Uh, No, they come in, they say, thank you to the players who went and made me look really good because you know what, at the end of the day, to be a really good coach, you know what else you need? You need really good players. And like you find out how good a coach you are when you don't have as good of players, which this team does not have as good of players as what we hope that they will someday. Uh, And they've still been pretty successful by on the, in the grand scheme of things, you know, let's not forget that the, that Duke fans wanted to run Mike Krzyzewski out of Duke after a couple of years of him coaching there. Right. So again, fans have a right to be as mad as they want and look for people to ask certain questions or analyze things in a, in a, a dialect that they would prefer. That's fine. I have no problem with that. You're not wrong for that, but I can't be everything to everybody. You can't be everything to everybody. Chris can't either. And you can sit here and say, well, you know, you guys, you're just, you're taking it easy on TJ because you want him to be successful. I want TJ to be successful, but I think I've been pretty critical of this team when they've played poorly. I think I've laid out the things that have really frustrated me I just haven't done it by ripping people individually to shreds. Guess what? I'm not going to come in and uh, we'll use an example. We were talking about this before the, before the podcast, Caleb grill went one for 12 on Saturday. Oh, for oh, nine from the three. I love how Caleb approaches the game. He plays really hard. I've never watched Caleb grill play basketball and ever thought to myself, this guy's out here trying to play for himself you know what? I've gone one for 12 from a game in a game before against Kansas state, my junior year at Kansas state. So I've been in his shoes. No one feels emptier and more hollow about that loss than a guy like Caleb grill who missed those shots. I'm not going to come on here and rip him personally for that. He did. He gave it everything he had. I guarantee you he was putting up jump shots night and day before that game. And I guarantee you he's been doing it ever since. Sometimes it just doesn't go in mm-hmm. in it happens and you move on. Guess what? Caleb's not a terrible shooter and neither was I when I went one for 12. And I think when you have a chance to take a step back and just look at it all in a big picture perspective, and this is what I try to do when I analyze games and talk for the speak for the fans that I think maybe like what I have to say is I just try to offer a little bit more of a bigger picture perspective. Let's take a deep breath, be disappointed with the loss, but we don't have to lose all sense of rationale. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just go and, and go after someone's head to make ourselves feel better. And at the end of the day, man, like when we do this stuff, you know, I have 
I wouldn't say like no relationship with TJ, like a professional one. TJ's not my friend. It's by, and it is that way by design. Like I have to be able to do my job to, and I'm going to do my job in what I feel is the best way possible. Every time that I do my job, I'm pissed too. Like I love Iowa state too. I love Iowa state men's basketball. That's the thing that when I transferred to Iowa state, how did I fall in love with Iowa state? It was being around Iowa state men's basketball. Do you think I don't want them to win? Do you think I don't want them to be better? I don't want them to fix some of these mistakes. Obviously I do. We've only talked about the same ones over and over for three right. straight months. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so to think like, Oh, they're taking it easy on TJ because he's their friend. I, I don't really have any relationship with TJ outside of the fact that he's the basketball coach and I'm a reporter and that's it. So it's like, I don't, I don't care about making TJ mad. You know, I have no reason to, if he takes it out on Chris, that's Chris's problem. I don't think TJ listens to the podcast. I don't think TJ, I think he would never know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it don't matter. And it's like a press conference and you go out of your way to try to just be an asshole to him. Like, yeah, he's probably going to remember that. And you know, not and then i probably won't get near as good of stuff i I won't get any good stuff from him ever again you know correct but like as far as like you know somehow the he's gonna listen to this podcast and take a bunch of things away from it and come on guys (laughs) i get it i'm mad too i thought we were going to the tournament i i I didn't think we'd be sitting here at three and nine i thought they were going to beat kansas state on saturday I, I'm going to uh, the game this Saturday uh, against Oklahoma, taking my wife to her first game. I, I was just like, I told, said to her on Saturday, we're watching. I'm like, man, if they win today, like next Saturday, it's going to be rocking in there. Like it's going to be just like the greatest environment. Like I'm disappointed too. I, it, it stinks. Are there things I, you know, watch that game and, and would do differently, of course. But like, again, I'm, it's easy to sit and question things when you never have to pay the price for being wrong. TJ has to pay the price for being wrong. He's the one putting in all the film study. He's the one eating breakfast with these guys every day, coaching them in all the meetings for me to sit here and just, well, TJ, you know, just do this next time. Come on. Really? Right. That's what you think this is going to, is going to fix this. And at the end of the day, nobody knows his team better than he does. You know, like no one's watched him play more than him. <laughs> you know, and, and no one knows the guys by, better than him. And if three years go by and there's no offensive progression within the three years, guess what? We'll all look back on this and say, look, we've got a four year sample size and we just are not getting the job done on offense. And this is, I mean, TJ knows this business as good as anyone. He knows that they've got to be better on offense. He knows that they've got to solve some of these riddles, not just for this season, but moving forward. It, again, me coming on here and say, like, we're going to fire a coach or, you know, get after him after three quarters of a season when coming into it, we expected to maybe win 10 games. Man. Iowa State better get its uh, booster money up because we're going to have some expensive buyouts to take care of if that's going to be the standard that we hold every coach to. Right. And, you know, when it comes to, like, changing the rotation and things like that, like, none of these moves are done in a non-calculated fashion. It took them 20-something games to change their rotation. You know, 
they resisted making changes as long as they possibly could as far as Tristan Anaruno goes. Didn't play on Saturday. Got a DNP. Trey Jackson barely played on Saturday. Got a DNP. He After getting a DNP against West Virginia. Finally putting Jaden Walker in there. Things like that. Bob Jones did not get near as many minutes on Saturday. Didn't play in the first half and played only briefly in the second half. Man, they were – when they make these choices, I don't think they're sitting there and not having conversations about like, wow, if we put Tristan on the bench, what if he transfers? I don't think they would make those decisions if they thought, man, what if this runs a risk of losing someone so much that they're like, I'm done, I'm out of here. You know, that's and, a conversation everybody has. You have to weigh these things in college basketball now. These guys are not idiots. Think, okay, what did I say earlier in the podcast? What is, what, what's my big takeaway that I've seen collectively from the last 12 games? The team has lost belief that their identity and their plan – is good enough to win them games. So if you're coaching them and you're overreacting or you're reacting to every game and changing your plan every game based off of this guy shot this percentage, this guy did this, this guy did that. And now you're also trying to tell the kids to stay the course and believe in the plan. And on the other end of it, you keep changing the plan every game. How are you going to convince those kids that what they're doing is enough when you're telling them on the other side, what, what we're not doing Like we got to, we got to abandon the plan. Right. They're, 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 this whole thing, again, it's, it's a big picture. And TJ gets that. I, I guarantee that he's been juggling in his mind. All right. I need to do something to shake it up, but I also am frustrated because I don't think we're sticking with our plan. So I need to make a move that tells these guys we need to stick, stay the course and stick with the plan. And at the same time, shakes it up. That's not just as simple as like some of the um, suggestions that I've seen yeah. out there of what, what, what's being suggested should happen. These are human beings and not everything that you do is like a transaction. You know, it doesn't say, okay, we're going to do this to make this happen. And because you did the thing, what you want to happen immediately is going to happen. And once you it's mess like that, with not realistic in a player's psyche, you don't just reset it for the next game. He yeah. carries that with them throughout the entire year. Right. It's and, like it, and that's the human being part of it, right? It's not just like, well, I'm just going to hit reset on the PlayStation. All right, guys, next game. That's not how it works. Right. Because uh, contrary to popular belief, basketball players, football players, whatever sport that they might be playing, uh, they are not robots. They are human beings. Like they're not just entertainment robots that are rolled out there for everybody's enjoyment. You know, like that's not, not what it is. So I don't know. All right. We got to get to this. Or I, I will say last thing on this conversation, I do think that some of the adjustments that they made worked. I, and I think that that was nice to see. They just did not work for long enough or we're not stuck to for long enough to be able to win them the game. They clearly worked in the first half. And it's if you can bottle that up and carry that forward and learn from that and then learn from what happened in the second half, hopefully you can have success moving forward, but it was not wait and see. I would also add that there is nothing wrong with wanting them to make adjustments or having suggestions that you think would work. It's just how you go about communicating that. Gosh, I'd love to see them do more of this. And I think that would help them versus, you know, this is just simple. Like all, they just need to do this, this, and this. And then they, you know, we'd be nine and three instead of three and nine. I think that's, 
I mean, it sounds good or, you know, makes it whatever, but that's not, again, not realistic. All right. This is from, uh, to get to what Chris Clover brought up to Chris, uh, go back and look at Hoiberg's first season. Is it just me or is it eerily similar to this one? Obviously you played on that team. So that's why, uh, this question is good for you. Do you Mm -hmm. see any similarities between this team and Fred's first team that you were on? Yes. A new culture, a new way of playing a new set of demands were put in place very clearly. We started off with pretty good in the non-conference, not as good as this team. We got into league play and there was a handful of games. We just got totally destroyed in uh, that. We were, we had no business winning, but then there were a handful of games where they came down to the last four or five minutes and we consistently found ways to lose them or we consistently did not find ways to win them. And some of it was the fact that we probably were a little undermanned being objective about it. Looking at this team, they are a little undermanned in certain spots. And then some of it was the coach and the players collectively didn't do enough to overcome some of their limitations and find ways to win those games. And I would say Fred's was more of a little bit of like an offensive. We're going to get up and down type of style where TJ's was a little bit more, uh, he's got some Dick Bennett to him, honestly. Um, we're oh, yeah, there's a lot of, out. yeah. A lot of Tony Bennett, a lot of Dick Bennett to it. Yeah. yeah we're going to grind it out in the half court. So a little different approaches to the game, but very similar as far as the way the season unfolded. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't sure, uh, but I figured that that would be, a good question for you. Um, all right, man. Do you have any other thoughts that you want to get out there? We just, we said a lot of stuff in an hour almost, but, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have any further thoughts for TCU. We've talked about this stuff so much, dude, that I mean, last six games are much more about Iowa state than they are yeah. about the people that, that the teams that they're playing. Right. I don't know how much it matters. Shout out to the Iowa state women. Uh, everybody show up at Hilton Coliseum on Saturday for the men's game in the afternoon. And then the women play at six o'clock against Oklahoma. It's going to be a huge game for uh, first place in the league. They've got to play Texas on Wednesday. So that'll be a big one as well. Man, the Cyclone women could conceivably get a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. If they take care of business here over the next couple of years. They have, I, they have three players. I think that'll probably be top 10 picks at some point in time in the W different WNBA drafts, but mm-hmm. Emily Ryan, I think Lexi Donarski still is probably in that conversation. And then obviously Ashley Jones is, you know, first team all America candidate. Um, right. I mean, to have that type of talent on one team and have them playing as well as they are is uh, really exciting and, and, and good for them. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing outstanding dude. Emily Ryan is unreal right now. She's first assists in one game. That's what I'm saying, man. She like, she's first team, all league first team. I don't know. That's she should be an all American. I don't know. You, when you put up the n- kind of numbers that she has over like the last NBA couple of months, numbers, right? Like, that's like what you would see from like Chris Paul in an NBA game, man. Did you see what Tyrese did in his first couple games with the Pacers, man. <laughs> All I got to say is when, when Sacramento comes to Indiana and plays and the GM walks in the building from Sacramento, they need to give him a minimum of a 10 minute standing ovation. I can't wait for Tyrese Halliburton to be a perennial all-star now, just so that he can stick it to the city of Sacramento. Like 
of all places, Sacramento, California is going to be the one that is feeling the wrath of Tyrese Halberton for because of the I Kings. Is he? I, I don't really. I've never met, even met Tyrese. I just I've listened to some of his interviews. Obviously, I you know yeah. follow the NBA enough to know he's a very much ascending player. He doesn't strike me as a guy that would be like bitter though. You know, no, like he's almost I, just no. I don't. That. Yeah, no, I don't think he'd be bitter, but I do think that he's the kind of guy that will treat it as almost like the Kings didn't think he was good enough. Yeah. You know, and that will be the thing that like motivates him, you know, well, the Kings didn't, I mean, that's yeah. the crazy part of it, right? You want I mean, if you think he's going to be a perennial all-star, you're not trading that guy. Right. And it's, it's where you can say like, I know that it's a business, but at the same time, screw those guys, you oh, know, yeah. like I, and I would imagine that that's the kind of thing that will work for him. And clearly is working for him because he's going to be a superstar for Indiana. If the first couple games are any indication. So, all right, right man, we'll, uh, we'll talk later on in the week. Uh, I thought this was a good conversation. And then um, you and I have a column that's going to be up later today. Uh, Kirk Collins working on it with us. It's going to be all three of us talking about some different things. So uh, keep an eye out for that on the cycle fanatic homepage. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.